And the second reading tonight is from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, which is found on page 1062 of the Church Bibles. 1 Corinthians 16, we'll be reading the whole chapter. Now about the collection for the saints, you should do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he prospers so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gracious gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they can travel with me. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be travelling through Macedonia, and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing, for I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord allows. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear from you, because he is doing the Lord's work, just as I am. Therefore, no one should look down on him. Send him on his way in peace so he can come to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. About our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. However, he will come when he has an opportunity. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like a man, be strong. Your every action must be done with love. Brothers, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labours with them. I am pleased to have Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus present because these men have made up for your absence. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognise such people. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Maranatha, that is, Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. I'm Chris. I'm one of the student ministers here at church. Uh, if you've got your Bible there open in front of you, keep that open. Uh, let's pray together uh, before we get into it tonight. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that you are with us um, here now. Father, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us tonight. Let your Holy Spirit be at work within us, showing us your glory and your greatness, uh, drawing us nearer to you, and making us more like your son Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. When I go traveling, when I'm in a new city, I love getting the aerial view of a place. Uh, observation decks, skyscrapers, cathedral, domes, bell towers, anywhere I can get a good vantage point, uh, I'm there. 
I was in New York for a week over Christmas last year visiting my sister who lives there. And um, I just had the most incredible week just exploring all the different parts of the city. Um, and, and it was so wonderful to, to be able to explore all the different neighborhoods and just take in the snapshots of all the different neighborhoods. Um, so great to be able to take in the snapshots of the, the capitalist center of downtown, um, take in the snapshots of uh, African-American culture in Harlem, the snapshots of the tranquility of Central Park and of Soho and, and Lower East Side. And, and, and I just loved it so much. But the view that I loved the, the very best was the view from the top of the Empire State Building. Uh, all of the, the views of the different um, neighborhoods were fantastic. Uh, but for me, being able to take in the view of the whole panorama, the whole big city, the whole big picture all at once. Uh, that was the best because it's from there that you see all of the neighborhoods together and, and how they all add something unique to the big picture. The close-up snapshots were good, but the big picture was even better. I think that may be true for many things in life, uh, but I think that often we can forget about the big picture. And I wonder if sometimes that's true for this thing that we call church. See, I think when we think about church, we often think about this group of people that we gather with on a Sunday night. But in reality, what you see around you tonight is actually just one snapshot of a much bigger picture. You see, the, the thing is that the church is so much bigger than our church. The church is bigger than 7 p.m. congregation or church by the bridge. The church is bigger than Sydney Anglicans or Sydney or even Australia. The church, God's church, our family is a global church. We are part of a spiritual family that stretches right around the world. That's the panorama. That's the big picture. And that's something that should really excite us. Earlier this year, I had the privilege of spending uh, a week in Singapore doing ministry with a local Presbyterian church over there. And it was just such an incredible experience. I got to do some really cool things. I, I did uh, prison ministry alongside a couple of pastors who were ex-drug addicts and, and had come out of the prison system. Uh, I got to spend time with a Burmese Christian fellowship uh, led by a Singaporean lady who's planning on moving to Burma or Myanmar as a missionary. Um, I got to do children's ministry with a couple of hundred local Singaporean school kids. And this was the first time I'd done anything like that. Um, and, you know, it was just such an incredible experience to be able to see firsthand that God truly is at work right around the world. Um, and to remember that I'm just one part of a much bigger picture uh, and to have this opportunity to, to really know that, that I'm part of a family that stretches right around the world. This week, we're, we're finishing up our series in the book of 1 Corinthians. And right through his letter, the Apostle Paul has been telling the Corinthian church how they can best love one another as a church family. And Paul's primary focus has been on the local church community in Corinth, as it should be. But just in case we were at risk of losing sight of the bigger picture, 
just in case we thought that our love for our Christian brothers and sisters was limited to our local church community, Paul now sets our sights wider. So in this chapter, Paul mentions five different Roman provinces. Uh, He mentions Galatia uh, in verse 1, Judea in verse 3, in verse 5 he mentions Macedonia, Achaia in verse 15, Asia in verse 19. These provinces would have reflected a whole spectrum of people. There was Jewish and Gentile, Greek and Roman, European, Eastern, urban, rural. This is a global church that Paul is now bringing into focus. And Paul, in this chapter, paints us a picture of what love for my church looks like when it stretches beyond my local community and it goes global. If the church is bigger than our church, what does love for the church look like? How do I love the church, the global church? I think we see a number of things in this passage, but tonight we're going to look at three things that we see from Paul. Number one, I love the church, the global church, by partnering in God's global mission. See, in this chapter, we see this fantastic picture of different churches partnering together to advance the gospel. And we see this playing out in a few different ways. Firstly, we see people going out into the world to spread the gospel. This is what Paul's doing. Have a look uh, with me at verse 5. Paul says, I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, verse 6, and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter, verse 8, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. So he's currently in Ephesus, planning on going to Macedonia via Corinth. Why? Why all this travel? Well, he tells us in verse 9, because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. See, Paul is driven, even in the face of opposition, Paul is driven by a ministry desire, by a desire to to build the church and to spread the gospel. Um, And he's not the only one. If we keep on reading, we see that Timothy and Apollos are planning on traveling to Corinth as well to build up the church there. Uh, And the traffic's not all one way. Uh, If you go down to verse 17, Paul tells us about Stephanus and friends. I'm delighted over the presence of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Acacius, because these men have made up for your absence. So these men have traveled from Corinth to Ephesus, where Paul is, to support him and encourage him there. So the question for all of us in this is, Have we ever considered doing likewise? Have you ever considered doing likewise? Have we considered going, either on a short-term or a long-term basis, to help build God's church and spread the gospel in a different part of the world? And and I actually mean this as a a serious question. Uh, Have you considered going. And and yes, sure, God won't call all of us to do that. God won't call most of us to do that, but surely it's something we should consider. Surely it's a question we should at least ask, God, would you like me to go? I'd like to challenge you, if you've not thought about this question before, even if you've never considered Christian ministry as as something that, 
that God might ever have in store for you, I, I would love to challenge you to actually give prayerful consideration to that question this week. God, would you like me to go to help build your church? Um, many of you know that I'm studying at Sydney Missionary and Bible College this year. Um, and one of the reasons why I decided to study there was because I knew that I needed to challenge myself in this area. Uh, to be really honest, uh, in the past, the, the global church is not something that has ever been on my radar. Uh, and certainly until very recently, I'd never given consideration to whether God might have uh, might want me to, to serve him in missions in a different part of the world. Um, and so I've been challenging myself this year to pray about it and to think about it. God may not send you. But surely, if we're serious about God, what God is doing in this world, surely if we are on board with, with God's global mission, this is a question we should ask. Now, we, we don't just see people going out. We also see people supporting those who are going out. Look at verse 6. Paul says, perhaps I'll remain with you or even spend the winter so that, here's the important bit, you may send me on my way wherever I go. Now, when Paul says, so you may send me on my way, he's not talking about so they can go to the town gate and wave him off as he leaves. He's actually asking for very practical support, things like money and food and traveling companions. That's going to enable him to go out and do his work. And he makes that same request down in verse 11 on behalf of Timothy. See, you may not have been called by God to go out to a different part of the world, but are you supporting someone who is? Is there a missionary or a mission organization that you are partnering with, be it by providing financial support or practical support or prayer support? Are you partnering in some way in the global mission of the church? If not, can I encourage you to think about perhaps taking a first step tonight by starting to pray regularly for our 7 p.m. congregation mission partners. If you're not aware, we have two mission partners here in the 7 p.m. congregation, Dave Irving, who's doing university work in Canberra, and Andrew and Stephanie Browning, who are working in Tanzania. Why don't you take a first step tonight by starting to pray for them regularly? Uh, and if you'd like to find out more information about how you can be supporting them or praying for them, um, Edward and Linda Campbell are the two people to speak to. So whether I go myself or whether I'm supporting someone who is, I love the church by partnering in God's global mission. Number two, I love the church by giving generously. Have a look at verse one. Paul says, now about the collection for the saints. You should do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. Now, what's happened is that the church in Jerusalem has been suffering as the result of quite a severe famine. And Paul is now asking the church in Corinth to respond in love by giving to the Jerusalem church. Now, notice a few things about their giving. Firstly, notice it's intentional. Look at verse 2. Paul says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save. 
So they're not just pulling out some spare notes out of their wallet when the Salvo's door knocker comes to their door or when they get caught by one of those charity volunteers in the shopping center and they didn't avoid eye contact. They're, they're actually intentionally setting aside money on an ongoing basis with the specific purpose in mind of helping their Christian brothers and sisters in need. Their giving is intentional. Secondly, notice everyone gives, but the giving looks different for everyone. Look at verse 2 again. Paul says, On the first day of each week, each of you is to set something aside. Each of you. Not just those who are working full time or those who have finished paying off their mortgage, but each of you. That means all of us. But, look again, verse 2, Paul says, Each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he prospers. So because many of us aren't working full time or many of us haven't finished paying off our mortgage, what we give and how we give may look very different. But regardless of how we give or what we give, this passage should challenge us to ask ourselves the questions, are we giving generously to help our Christian brothers and sisters in need of support, not just here at Church by the Bridge, but around Sydney and around the world? Are we making ourselves aware of the challenges that Christians in other parts of the world face so that we're ready to respond when necessary? Or do we just keep our view narrowly focused around us here in Kirribilli? When we do become aware of the challenges faced by Christians in other parts of the world, do we just drop the $20 note in the, don- in the donation tin or, or buy the uh, fundraising chocolate? Or do we actually think prayerfully about how we might be able to offer more intentional support on an ongoing basis? This passage tells us that if, if we are unmoved when we hear about our brothers and sisters in need of support, if, if we are not moved to consider how we might practically support, there's something wrong. Because love should move us to care. And love should move us to be generous. In response to seeing our brothers and sisters face challenges and trials, we love the church by giving generously. Number three, I love the church by standing firm in the gospel. Have a look at verses 13 and 14. Paul says, Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like a man. Be strong. Your every action must be done with love. Now, There's a number of imperatives here, but they're all connected. And I think we understand them best by looking at that middle one. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Now, if we were reading this book through in one sitting, those words might jog our memory. And we'd look back over the page to the start of chapter 15, where Paul says this, verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. You received it and have taken your, what, stand on it. You are also saved by it. Verse 3, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. See, Paul is pointing us back to the truth of the gospel. 
He's pointing us back to the truth that Christ has demonstrated his unwavering commitment to us, his unending love for us by giving his life for us. He's pointing us back to the truth that it's through the work of Christ and his work alone that I'm saved from my sins and I have everything I need for this life. He's pointing us back to the truth that Moment by moment, I live by and and am sustained by the grace of God. The truth that, as, as LT said last week, God wants something for me, not something from me. And Paul says, you have taken your stand on that gospel. Now continue to stand firm in that truth. What does that mean? It means don't allow yourself to slide gradually, gradually into apathy. Don't allow yourself to slide into that place where you begin to take his gift for granted, where you become comfortable and where you allow yourself to begin to hold on to that illusion of self-control. And don't allow yourself to forget, and how easily we forget, that all you have is a gift of grace from God. Paul says, stand firm in the gospel. What does that mean? It means... Don't allow yourself to start believing this lie that creeps in so subtly that you are a good person and that God's impressed by all of your good works and that maybe, just maybe, God owes you something for everything you've done. Stand firm in the gospel. Stand firm in the truth that the Christian life is all about God's initiative, God's grace, not anything I've done. And the overflow of that, Paul says, will be love. The overflow will be love. See, when I stand firm in the gospel, when I drive my roots down deep into the truth that all I have is a generous gift from God, that frees me in turn to be generous to others. It frees me to be generous relationally. It frees me to be generous financially. It frees me to be generous with my time, to be generous in my prayers. And that is why we must stand firm in the gospel. This is so important. Why? Because loving others can be really, really hard, can't it? Until this year, I worked in uh, human resources. Uh, And in the business that I worked for, the human resource department was called People and Organization. People and organization, P&O for short. Uh, And you know, there were days when we would be dealing with uh, just tough, difficult people, and it was kind of nitty-gritty people issues, and it was challenging. And often we'd we'd kind of get together as a team and, and just say amongst ourselves, wouldn't it just be so great if we could just take the people bit out of people and organization? The organization bit, that's simple. It's the people bit that makes things difficult. Um, I remember one role in particular. I was the HR manager at uh, one of our factories down in Albury. And uh, we had a group called the Employee Consultative Committee. And uh, it met uh, for half a day once a month. It was made up of uh, uh, representatives from each of the manufacturing shifts. And I remember being new to the role and um, coming into my first Employee Consultative Committee meeting and having all these visions of what we would be talking about. And I was keen to talk about engagement and teamwork and learning, you know, all that fluffy HR stuff, learning and development. Um, 
And I was really, really keen for it. And I remember just going into that first consultative committee meeting and having all of my expectations just so wonderfully shattered by reality. Um, And I kid you not, I kid you not, the thing that we spent the most amount of time talking about in that first meeting was the roast beef in the canteen. We spent hours talking about roast beef. It's not high enough quality. It gets cold too quickly. We don't have it often enough. Last week, day shift got roast beef two days a week, but afternoon shift only got it one day a week. The hours that I spent talking about roast beef in that role. And it was, it was one of those reoccurring things that just kept coming up over and over again. And every time I thought that I'd dealt with roast beef, every time I thought that I had put roast beef to bed, there it was again. And I kid you not, you can't make this stuff up. You can't make it up. At one point, we're on the verge of forming a roast beef committee. But see, the point is this, there were days when I would come back from that meeting and I'd sit down at my desk and I'd talk to my manager and I'd say, you know, I love my job, I love this business, I love what we're on about, but man, the guys in that meeting drive me mad. And see, I just wonder if you've ever felt that way about church. I just wonder if you've ever thought to yourself, I love my church, I love the music, I love the teaching, I love the things I'm involved in. But my goodness, those people, or maybe more specifically, that person, oh, they're just so difficult. Or maybe your hive group, I love my hive group, I love the time we spend together, but my goodness, that person, oh, they're challenging. See, this is the thing, loving others is challenging. Being generous relationally, being generous financially with time, it's challenging And so if we are not rooted deeply in the truth of the gospel, what will happen? What will happen? Well, perhaps you'll become exhausted or burnt out because you give and give and give and get nothing in return. Perhaps you'll become just a little bit bitter or resentful because the people around you seem to take more than they give. Perhaps you'll become just a little bit proud and start to feel like the people around you are indebted to you. And the answer to all of these things is to stand firm in the gospel. So are you feeling exhausted and burnt out? Refresh yourself every day in the truth of God's word, in the truth of the gospel. Do you feel like people take more than they give? Remind yourself every day how much God has given you. Are you beginning to feel like maybe others owe you something for all you've done for them? Praise God every day for all he's done for you. And praise him for the truth that all you have is a gift from him. Stand firm in the gospel. That is how we love. How do I love the church, the global church, the bigger church? Three ideas. I love the church by partnering in God's global mission. I love the church by giving generously. And I love by standing firm in the gospel. Can I encourage you, if if one of those points has rung true, has challenged you, has provoked thought for you tonight, can I challenge you to commit to just praying about that each day this week? Uh, Don't commit to doing anything. Don't commit to changing anything. But would you just commit for the moment to just praying about it and reflecting on it?
and to see what God has to say to you about it this week. Um, as we come to uh, the close of uh, this passage and this series in the book of 1 Corinthians, I'd like us just to finish by just spending a few moments uh, just reflecting or just imagining a couple of alternative realities. Uh, let's start with the church in Corinth. Just imagine if things had been different at the church in Corinth. Imagine if the church in Corinth had really gotten the truth of the gospel into their hearts in such a way that it radically transformed the way that they engaged with each other and with the world around them. Imagine if they were so convicted of the fact that they were united in Christ, they didn't allow little differences like which teacher they preferred to divide them. Imagine if instead of being full of pride, they lived lives of humility because they knew that everything they had came from God. Imagine if instead of using their gifts to impress other people and build themselves up, they were constantly looking at how they could use their gifts to build up the church and love others. Just imagine how incredible that church would have looked. Just imagine how wonderful and refreshing it would have been to be a part of that church community. And just imagine what kind of impact that church could have had. Imagine unbelievers coming into the church community and seeing the love and grace of God displayed so clearly through word and deed that they found it irresistible. What a church that would have been. Now let's think about our church. Imagine if every one of us drove our roots down so deep into the truth of God's grace and generosity to us that it freed us to be radically generous in every sphere of our lives. Imagine if each one of us was constantly thinking about how we could be using our gifts to serve one another and build up the church. Imagine if every one of us lived as if our unity in Christ was more important than our little differences. And each one of us humbly sought to love people, even when we disagreed with them. Imagine if every one of us was thinking about how we could be a part of what God is doing, not just here in Kirribilli, but right around the world in his church. Wouldn't that be extraordinary? Wouldn't that kind of love be an irresistible witness to people who don't know Jesus. Love should be the distinguishing feature of the church. Jesus said in John 13, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. May that be true of our church. Let's finish by praying together. Father, we thank you that you do love us. We thank you that you displayed your love for all the world to see through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. And we pray, Father, that that truth, that gospel would 
fuel us and free us to love one another well as a church community here at Church by the Bridge. And we pray that that truth would fuel us and free us to love beyond this church and to love our brothers and sisters right around the world. Help us to remember the bigger picture. Help us to remember that we are part of a global church, a global family, and stir us up, God, to play a part in building your church and spreading the gospel right around the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.